today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. More problems, of course, in Minnesota right now. Uh, police in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, faced off with protesters again last night after this week's fatal police shooting of a 20-year-old black man. Alex Stone tells us about this. For a third night in a row, police and protesters here in this Minneapolis suburb clashing. This time, police strictly enforcing a curfew, clearing the streets at 10 p.m. The crowd was noticeably smaller than Monday night, likely because of snow and 30-degree temperatures. Police ordering everyone to go home using gas. Officers and the National Guard surround police headquarters here. Alex Stone, ABC News, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Well, we're not sure what's going to be happening tonight, too, but uh, the insurrections continue there, and people are very, very upset about, uh, again, what happened. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Paul Violas, who's a law enforcement and security analyst. Uh, Paul, it's so good to have you on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Pleasure to join you, Bill. Let me ask you, I, I, we do know, as, just as an update to uh, what Alex Stone just told us, uh, that the officer uh, who's obviously been charged, well, not charged as of yet, uh, Kim Potter and the police chief, Tim Gannon of the, of the police force in there, have both resigned. I, I get the sense, though, that, Paul, that's, that's not going to end the violence. That's not going to end the protests. You know what? It's not. It's, we're in the genesis of this, Bill, and unfortunately, this country has yet to see something of this magnitude, what's about to erupt. And you got to remember, too, Bill. We're in the middle of the Chauvin trial, which is by far the, the most critical trial between police and community and law enforcement and the community since the Rodney King guys. And uh, <laughs> having this happen while this case is going on is definitely going to make matters worse in, you know, in, uh, in, on the side of the state as well. Well, and you know, of course, that uh, the defense attorney in Chauvin-Strauss tried to actually get the jury sequestered because of the news coverage of this. The, the judge denied that, by the way. But it, you're, that, I think, magnifies your point that obviously this is going to have an impact. Let me ask you something very basic about this, about what we know so far about this, Paul. And, and you've spent the better part of your life, of course, with law enforcement and security. Uh, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a police officer. How do you get a taser and, and a firearm mixed up? Uh, as, as my you know, friend, the officer, told me, uh, first of all, your gun is usually on your dominant side, so and the taser is on the other side. Uh, and, and this is a, what, a 28-year veteran. Uh, come, Paul, explain that to me. Panic. That's it. You know, it's, it's not a lack of training after 26 years. It's panic. She panicked, she, and, and she completely destroyed the entire situation. I mean, there's no other way of looking at it. And, and the gentleman, or the, the woman that you spoke to, you know, is exactly correct. Your firearm is on your dominant side. Taze is on your least dominant side. So to be able to say that you thought you had a taser when you had a firearm, and, and they both feel entirely different, I, that only goes to, and I don't want to berate her, because I'm sure she's got a lifetime of having to deal with this. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, you know what? Uh, the only thing I can say is that she panics, and as a result of that, a twenty a twenty year old young man is dead. But to reach with your left hand instead of your right hand, uh, again, twenty eight year veteran. I I don't disagree. I mean, we don't know all the details about this. Uh, do twenty eight year veterans like this panic that that easily in a situation? I mean, I, I understand that you know it's oftentimes these are life and death decisions, and and that's which is why we have such great respect, I think, for people that uh, that work in that particular field in law enforcement. Uh, but you would have thought that with her training and with her experience, that this is not a mistake that she would make. No, you would you would think not, but I will. I'll share something briefly with you, Bill. Yeah, I remember please. I was on for I guess fourteen, fifteen years at the time, and we rolled up into the middle of a street riot, 
And uh, I, I, my partner, who I was just temporary with at the time, thank God for that, uh, decided not to get out of the car and panic. He locked himself in the car while I was outside taking a beating. So, you know, you never know how you're going to react until you're in the middle of it. I've seen people that, that could, you know, shoot the eye out of a quarter at 200 meters uh, panic when they're actually having to face somebody live. So I think, you know, what this really should show everyone is that regardless of the amount of training you have, you just never know how you're going to react. The other thing, Bill, is we don't know what she did for 26 years. You know, did she, was she inside most of the time? Was she not inside? I mean, we don't know. I have a hard time believing she, she spent the, the majority of her, her career on the street or on patrol, and that happened. What we, We've seen how the community is responding, and, and that's not surprising, obviously, the outrage, uh, uh, especially in light of the George Floyd from last year and things of this nature. What does this do to, to the police service in that town, to, into that community, uh, to, to the other officers when they see something like this? Well, first of all, you got to remember that officers in the United States, and, and, and I speak very, this is synonymous also with Canada, I mean, with respect to whether it's local police or whether it's the RCMP, it's across the board in the United States as well. You know, police are going to take a beating physically, mentally, emotionally, personally, as a result of this. And it's just, it's just what happens. So you see what, what happens with Chauvin. It's taken out on existing police. The totality of the effect, to your question, is the fact that people just don't become cops anymore. We're 78% down in the United States with respect to police applications. Sheriffs are poaching and, and chiefs are poaching good cops from other departments because they can't get enough bodies. And what's that leave us with, though? It leaves us with the National Guard rolling down Main Street with tanks. So how's that as an optic as far as where we're headed right now? And, and I understand because I've talked to people in Hamilton Police Service, Toronto, many of them right, right across the country over the years, of course, that I've been doing this. Uh, and there is a desire to, to build community support and community partnerships. Uh, there are some bad apples on, on police departments. There are bad apples in every phase of life. I mean, we understand yeah. that. Uh, and, and the Chauvins and, and others, of course, uh, sadly, um, create this impression that people want to paint everybody in the, with the same brush, and that's that's not fair to them. But it's got to be awfully frustrating uh, for those that are trying to build those relationships. Uh, then you see, obviously, the Chauvin situation, and then an incident like this, whether it was a, an accident, whether you know, I, that's to be determined. We don't even know if she's going to be charged yet. I guess we're going to have that information later on today. Uh, but it's it's like when you're trying to build bridges, and all of a sudden somebody's behind you and put, setting fire to that bridge. Oh, and, and that's the perfect analogy to what we have going on here. But the problem is that, you know, part of the issue here is that the community is not taking any sense of responsibility. And, and you know what? They have to, because this is a partnership between the two. And you can't stand there all day and cast dispersions on 1.2 million police officers because the vast minority have not acted properly or were egregious. You simply can't do that. You have to own part of this mistake. I'm not blaming the victim in this case at all, right, just to be very clear. But when a police officer gives you an instruction and you disobey that instruction, you can be assured that whatever level of force they were or were not going to use is going to be escalated at that point. I don't care if it's in Hamilton province, if it's the RCMP, if it's the FBI, if it's Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis Police Department. It's going to be the same thing. Well, more to come on this, certainly, as we find out whether or not charges are going to be laid and how the community is going to respond. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for jumping in. I know it's a busy day for you today. Appreciate the time. 
Always a pleasure, Bill. Have a wonderful day. You too. Paul Viola, of course, law enforcement and security analyst, uh, watching as we are with uh, what's going to be happening in Minnesota. And and Paul's point is well taken, too. I mean, you can't look at these things in isolation. This show and trial continues today, and the defense continues uh, with their uh, presentation as to what happened there. And uh, it's, well, again, going to cause some outrage in that community and right across North America, for that matter. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.